God did not say, okay, here's the law. Once you keep it, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. No. He called them out despite their wickedness. He sent Moses and they rejected him. At first, they're like, we just want to stay here because Moses, you're making it worse than it was before. Now they're making us make bricks out of, without straw. I mean, that's not easy to do. And so, God chose His people. Look at Abraham. Abraham was given the promise before anything was required of him. If you don't believe me, I know a lot of people probably don't believe this. I want us to look verse 12 of Genesis. I want to see that here in verse, Genesis 12, verse 1 and following, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And, I will, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Question. Has Abraham done anything yet? This is the first mention of Abraham in the book of Genesis. Other than in the line of his father, other than the genealogy of Abraham, Abram, this is the first time there's an interaction between God and Abram. God gives him a command, but He already blesses him and promises him many things. He hasn't started to accomplish anything for, of what the Lord has required. So God doesn't call us out based on who we are. And this is extremely important for understanding Leviticus 19. Often we think, well, we, we were good enough or we chose the Lord. And just in case those two examples that I've already given aren't good enough, what about David? Remember, Samuel came... Well, first, the people of Israel, who did they choose? They chose Saul. Why did they choose Saul? They wanted a king like the kings around them. Handsome, strong. They wanted a king like the nations. So they chose their king. And what happened with all that? He wasn't God's choice. But when God chose David, it was not the guy that Samuel thought he was going to choose. Samuel went through every single one of David's brothers before he came to David. And he's like, he's kind of ruddy of appearance. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he was probably a skinny, you know, shepherd boy. He wasn't, no one looking at him would say, well... That guy, I want 
I want him to re- represent me to all the other kings in the, in the nation. No. He was not what man chooses. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see God choosing men that aren't spectacular. Men who don't necessarily deserve God's grace. They didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. And even the disciples, when Jesus chooses His disciples, I'm just saying, if you want to start a new religion, the last people you're going to are fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors who everyone hates. God God is using the despised and rejected. Why? Because He gets the glory out of it. So, when we go back to, to Leviticus 19... The grounding and the the basis for our holiness is not us. The word holy has a can mean sacred or consecrated. I think consecrated also gives us this idea set apart as dedicated to God. That's what holiness is. That's what the front of this pulpit says, holiness to, to the Lord. That's what God put on Aaron. What? He was dedicated to the service of the Lord. And that's the difference. Often we, we think of holiness as perfection. In our, in our, in our world, we, we want to say, well, um, you know, we can't truly be holy now because, no, God said, Commanded them to be holy. What is he saying? He's saying, be different. Be set apart. Be a representation of me to the world. So, when the Israelites were walking around in the wilderness, I guarantee you they ran into people who weren't God's people. What was the difference? God called them. And He didn't just call them to do what they wanted and act like the world around them. He called him to be holy, like he was holy. A.W. Tozer said about holiness, or the word holy, holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because He is holy, His attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. This is our God. He is the standard. When He says... Do not be conformed to this world in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's kind of the idea of a mold. I know the women, y'all have uh, jello molds, and you pour the jello in, and what happens? When that firms up, you take it out, and what does it look? It's a representation of the mold. Well, what God is saying is don't let yourself be put in the mold of this world. Right? Don't let the world define the form that you're going to take. I am the Lord your God. 
Be transformed to me. That's what he's saying. We are not called to be like the world. We're called to be like Jesus. He's the mold. If, if, if you could say it for lack of better words, He's the original. He's the perfect representation of God, as Hebrews talks about. It's interesting in the Old Testament, when men are confronted by God's holiness, how they respond and what happens. Remember Moses? He's, at, he's gone up on the mountain. He's spent time with God. He asked God, Show me your, your glory. Show me your face. And God said, you can't handle it. But I'll show you my back as I pass by. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock so that you can see but not die. And what happened? He came down from the mountain and his face was glowing. What was this glowing? It was like the glory of God was over him. And that story is in Exodus 34. And, and there... The people, when he comes down to share with them, he has to cover his face. Why? Well, let's turn real quick. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I think this is really important for us to understand what was going on there. So Paul in chapter 3 here, he's talking about how the letter of the law kills and the Spirit gives life. So when we get to, to verse 7 in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, he says, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so he's talking about the law and Moses, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fazing, fading as it was. So even though they hadn't experienced the fullness of God's glory like Moses had, even the fading presence of God's glory on his face was so strong that they couldn't even look at his face. They had to have a veil. How, verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory. So what's he saying? We today should be able to experience His glory even more. Because we have that direct relationship. For Verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. So he's saying... You know, that glory that, that Moses experienced and the people of Israel saw through the veil, it's nothing compared to the glory of the Holy Spirit within us. Isn't that incredible? We live in a day and age where God's glory has been completely poured out. Does that mean that we have seen the fullness of His glory? No, we'll see that right here. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remain is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech, and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not 
look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. This is really important. The people of Israel's minds were hardened. And even today, it says, For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. So until Christ comes into our lives, that veil is over. We can't experience the glory of God. That's why the Jews today can speak so highly of the coming Messiah. I mean, the way that even some liberal rabbis talk about how great the Messiah is going to be are missing it completely. The great Messiah has come, Jesus Christ, and yet it's overshadowed because that veil is still there. Their hearts are hardened. Verse 15, But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What a blessing. When we are called out, taken from that miry clay and put into His kingdom, He lifts the veil. Just like Christ, when He was on the cross and died, that veil was rent in two. We have an opportunity to see Him in all His glory. The crazy thing in 17 and 18, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. A lot of people use this verse for the wrong reasons. What is this liberty? To know God. That's what he's talking about. We have liberty to know and serve the Lord. That's what he's saying. And then verse 18, but we all, so he's talking about himself too, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord the Spirit. I think this passage is real. I mean, I could have just preached this passage today because it's full of what God is doing in us. He's bringing about change in us. So men who saw God's glory, the fullness of His holiness, what did they say? I mean, Isaiah, remember Isaiah? Chapter 6. It's interesting, Isaiah and Ezekiel both had a a vision of God before He called them. Both of them. God gave them a, him a, them a vision of Himself. And what did Isaiah say? He said in Isaiah 6, 3-5, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. I think this is interesting. This reminds me of Mount Sinai. Remember the mountain shaking? I mean, and the smoke covering? I think it's so interesting how God 
gives a very similar picture to his people in the Old Testament of who he is. Ezekiel, or he then says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And it wasn't till the angel brought the burning coal and put it on his lips that he... So God, even in showing him a picture of himself, had to come and cleanse his lips so that he could speak the truths of God's word. Ezekiel saw a vision, the angels, seraphim, singing praises to God in chapter 1 of Ezekiel. And he then describes, And above the expanse over their heads there was a likeness of a throne, and the appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, a gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed around, and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the lightness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. That should, if we see the Lord for who He is, we... We had to fall on our faces because we realize how wicked we are without Him, how much we need Him. I would hope that that's why we're here today, because God gave us a vision of who He is, and He showed us how wicked we are without Him and how much we need the sacrifice that He paid on the cross to bring us to Himself. One of the greatest hymns I think we can sing is, this one, it says, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore Thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before Thee, who word and art and evermore shall be. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye made blind by sin, thy glory may not see. Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee. Perfect in power and love and purity. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. I really like that third line. It kind of talks about, though the darkness hide thee, though the eye made blind by sin, thy glory may not see. What's he saying? The world can't see who we know. That's why they should be asking us, what is the hope that you have? Just as the song that uh, Bobby sang, a new life, we found a new life. The world should be asking us, and then we should be proclaiming, you can't see it. But God can open your eyes and you can see His glory. You can see who He is and how He loves us.
Even if the world can't see the glory of God, one day we all will stand before Him and see Him for who He is. It says we'll be transformed in a moment in Thessalonians. So in Leviticus 19, we see a call. The basis for our lifestyle should be God's calling of us and His calling for us to be holy like He is. His representation on earth. And oftentimes when we read those verses, be holy as the Lord your God is holy, oftentimes we think one of two things. I am inadequate. There's no way I can do it, so I'm just not going to try. That's called fatalism. Or the other side is we try, like John Wesley and his brother, so hard We try to do everything. We try to pray. We try to read our Bibles. But we're doing it all in our own strength. And what's that? Legalism. There's two extremes. But God is calling us through the power of the Holy Spirit within us to live for Him. That's what Leviticus 19 is all about. A life devoted to the Lord. But before we get there, Leviticus 19 honestly, is just our stepping point today because I think I'm going to have to do this in two sermons unless y'all want to be here till three. Um, it's not that long. But uh, I, I've just sensed that we need a basis. We need a foundation before we even talk about how God expresses how to follow Him. So what does the New Testament say about holiness and sanctification? And I want to put forth a, a definition of sanctification that I see in, in reading the New Testament. I believe sanctification is a definitive event in which God takes possession of us in Christ and sets us apart to fulfill His purpose in us. It's not a progressive thing. I believe the expression of what He has done in us, progresses. But our sanctification came when we were shown the glory of God. When He, through the power of His Holy Spirit, regenerates us. And I say this because if we look in 1 Peter chapter 1, First Peter chapter 1, in verse 13, this is really interesting because here Peter is partially quoting Leviticus 19 and he's also quoting Exodus 20. He says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That grace is our hope. That grace that has brought us to salvation, to a revelation of Jesus Christ that lifted that veil. As obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed 
to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. Again, I talked about that word conformed. It's like being molded in the image of something else. And in, again, Romans 12, he talks a lot about how that con- when we're conformed to the world, it's to the pattern of the world, to the way the world wants us to be. They want us to run around and act like everything's okay, that you can do what you want, be free, and you know there, there doesn't need to be any boundaries. There doesn't need to be any um, holding back, just do what feels good. That's what the world is preaching today. But that was an ignorance. That, that idea comes from the ignorance of who God is. Why do we see that? Verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So Peter, in verse 16, he quotes what we just read. You shall be holy for I am holy. He kind of shortens it. But in 15, he's giving his understanding by the Holy Spirit of what that verse means. As the Holy One who called you. Again, I'm your God, so you should be holy as I am. That our behavior is a representation of what God has done in us, not a representation of who we are. If we think that by living holy lives, that it should be so that people will look at me and say, man, Caleb, you're pretty holy, aren't you? No. What I want is people to look at me and say, you're different and you're strange, but I want to know what that's all about. (laughs) I don't want them to, to... I mean, people will always call you holier than thou if you desire to seek the Lord. But people who God is working in their lives, He will bring those people to you and they will seriously wonder, why are you so different? Because God is doing a work in them. So verse 16, He says, Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the One who impartially judges according to each one's works, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold for your futile way of life from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. So he's saying, the reason we live, again, is in His calling, and it's because we were not So this is the negative. We were not redeemed with these earthly things, these physical things. But, verse 19, with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Our purchase, our understanding of who God is, the ability to see the Lord, to be able to behold as in a mirror with unveiled face the glory of God came through Christ and His blood on the cross for us. We don't deserve to see His glory. We do not deserve to walk around and say, I'm a saint. 
But Christ purchased it for us on the cross. There aren't two tiers in Christianity. There aren't saints and people who are trying to be saints. And we don't need to have miracles performed from people praying to us to, uh, to get the, the title saint. That comes from the Catholic Church, for those who didn't grow up there. We're saints because we're children of God. When God called us out, He said, you're a saint. We may not feel like a saint. And I'm sure you can look at me and think, he doesn't look like a saint. But I promise you, when God transforms us and brings us into His family, He has sanctified us. Now the process of learning how to live that sanctification out, that's a different story. John chapter 17. I like to use the Bible best because if I'm wrong, you can point it out to me. And if the word is true, then there really isn't an argument, right? Because I have lots of opinions about a lot of things. But what matters is what the Word says. So, John 17, verse 13. So Jesus is praying for His disciples. And this, this verse, this section of Scripture is so important for us. And He says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they... Who's they? The disciples and us, as we'll see. That they may have my joy made full in themselves. What was the joy that was set before Him? You remember? Us. I have given them Your Word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So even though God has called us out of the world, He didn't say, go be Amish. Separate yourself completely. Don't have relationship with anyone who's not a believer. That would be really hard since the Bible says that there are wheat and tares in the church. No, He's saying... I don't ask you to take them out, but to keep them from the evil one. Who is that? Satan and his power. He's asking the Father on our behalf to keep us from the evil one. Verse 16, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I believe that he's talking about the gospel here. The full, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. That when we understand, when we, for the first time, see Christ as our Savior, truly, 
and believe in Him that we are sanctified. Why? Because He is the Word. The Gospel is the Word of truth to us. As you sent me into the world, verse 18, I also have sent them into the world. So we're to be a light preaching this gospel. Why? So that God can bring more saints into His kingdom. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 19 is very important for the understanding of this passage because if we say that sanctification is purity, how could God, how could Jesus say He's sanctifying Himself, right? If we're saying that the New Testament understanding of the word sanctification is purification, then that would mean that God, Christ wasn't pure. That he needed to come. I believe what he's saying is, I am setting myself apart for the purpose for which God sent me to the world. That's what he's saying. I have set myself apart from the world, as he had talked about there before this. So he's saying, I am setting myself apart to the mission that God has, the Father has sent me. Why? So that you, you all, the disciples, may be sanctified in truth. And just in case you don't think this applies to yourself, look at verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And verse 22, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see, your, see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. I want to see His glory. That's what Christ died for. He's petitioning that God the Father would bring us to Himself so that we can see His glory. In verse 17 here, where he's talked about sanctified in the truth. Uh, a really good book that I've read called Possessed by God. He, he says about verse 17, Consecrate them to yourself. This context gives us the idea of consecrate them to yourself and keep them in that relationship. God, when He saves us, He is bringing us out, separating us from the world. Sometimes we want to 
maintain some of those relationships. We try to preach the gospel to those that were our friends. And those of you, I mean, I grew up in the church, so it's a little bit different, but those of you that came out of the world, that your parents weren't believers, when you started to try to preach the gospel or share what God had done for you, what happened? Did a lot of your friends say, "Mm, I'm sorry, Bobby, we've been friends for a long time, but I want to go drink and not have somebody telling me, (laughs) or whatever it may have been, you know, I want to do what I want to do, our relationship just isn't going to work anymore. And it's not that we're trying to push them away, but God is setting us apart, showing us a different way, and in time, those people see the difference. They see that we've been called to be holy. And they don't, maybe some think, well, they're trying to be goody-two-shoes or whatever, but they see that God is doing a work in our lives. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 10. I know this is a lot of scriptures, a lot of different uh, ways of looking at what God calls what we see as sanctification and holiness in the New Testament, but I believe if we don't have a good foundation for what holiness is and our sanctification in Jesus Christ, we can't understand Leviticus 19 in the right way. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Well, I might... I'll read verse 5 and following. Therefore, when He comes into the world, He says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not taken pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of Me, to do Your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. What is that? What is his will? The will of the Father. He's not trying to do his own will. By this will... Sorry. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. So this is covenantal. He's talking about covenants. He's taking away the first covenant of the law and the second covenant that we enjoy. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This verse, I don't think you can get more clear than what this verse is saying. That in Christ's offering on the cross for us, we have been sanctified. It was not something we earned. It was not something we progressed in. It was given through Christ. So when we say, well, I'm not sure if I'm sanctified... We need to read this verse again. We need to be reminded. This sanctification came from God. He called us and then He sanctified us 
so transformed our inner, our heart, gave us His Spirit so that we would desire to do His will, as Ezekiel 36 says. He did all this. Why? So that we could experience His glory. What is the chief end of man? Anyone remember that one? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I'm not going to heaven as much as I... Well, I don't like golf. Let's say basketball. Um, I'm not going to heaven to play basketball and dunk on everybody. I'm just saying. I'm going to enjoy the Lord forever. If we are not enjoying our God and Savior here on earth, heaven's going to be an awful place. And I would dare say, you probably won't be there if you're not enjoying Him now. Our enjoyment of God and His presence will be at the greatest level that we've ever experienced when we reach heaven. Verse 11, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time after time the same old sacrifices. I may have added a few words. Which can never take away sins. But He, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until His enemies were made His footstool. For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for this, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart. And on their mind I will write them, he, he then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Again, all these passages I'm reading, we could take a whole sermon to talk about them. But the, the point is, our sanctification came through Christ on the cross. It was not something we obtained or something we work up to. And, and often people will use uh, other passages to try to say, well, don't we see... Progression in holiness? Don't we see a, a move to sanctification? I think the problem is we're mixing words. When we see the word godliness or righteousness, we're forgetting that what God does in us is the foundation for how we live. That we as people are learning to live and put practical feet, to, for lack of better phrasing, to what God has done in us. We are born again, but we still struggle. We still fall. We are transformed and being transformed by the renewing of our mind. But that's not talking about our sanctification. Our sanctification was purchased 
by Christ on the cross. And He gives us that power to overcome. There's a sense in which He's doing the negative and the positive. And I want us to look in closing at Romans chapter 12. I've already alluded to it a couple times, but I think it's important that we turn there. I love the book of Romans because it is one of the most well, in my opinion, one of the best preachings of the gospel that we encounter. I'm not saying that the gospels aren't good. (laughs) I'm just saying, for me, the Apostle Paul, God just gave him a gift for showing us who God is and what He's done for us. So then we see in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore... So I've said all these things, Paul's saying. You know, the, I broke off. God broke off the original branches so that He could graft you in. And if you're not careful, you'll, you will be broken off and they will be grafted back in. And at one point in time, he says, they will be, they will be grafted back in. So because of this, Verse chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He assumes, as we should, it is only by the mercy of God, that we can present our lives as an offering. He knows that unless Christ opens our eyes, unless God transforms our hearts and sanctifies us, justifies us, we cannot do this. We cannot present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices on our own. Much like Isaac and Abraham, Isaac allowed his father to sacrifice him. We too must, through the Holy Spirit's power, allow, surrender, Give way to God's work of demonstrating to the world what a living sacrifice looks like. Not just a living sacrifice to uh, your country or to some ideal, but a living sacrifice to the holy God who created us. Because there are people who are willing to die for all kinds of things. Some are willing to die for the whales. Some for some tree. Some for their, their country. Or whatever it may be. A, a specific religion. But we are called to live our lives and to die in service to God. 
This is not so that we can attain salvation. It is to demonstrate what God has done in us. It will not be acceptable to God if it is from ourselves. In the verse 2, I've already alluded to this. And do not be conformed to this world. Why? So that's the negative. Don't be conformed. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I really like this word transform. The Greek is the same word that we get metamorphosis from. It actually is that word. Um, so it's kind of like a changing of your form to His likeness. It's kind of what we think of, you know, the ugly worm, that caterpillar, becomes that it's transformed into a, a butterfly. My daughter likes both, but I guarantee you she likes butterflies better than worms or caterpillars. Why? It's transformed completely. It doesn't look anything like the caterpillar when it becomes a butterfly. Right? It's totally different. Totally transformed. To be like Jesus. That's what we're called to be. And this transformation doesn't happen just by accident. By the renewing of our mind. I think one of the ways, how do we renew our mind? How, how do we allow our mind to be renewed? I think this isn't my actual Bible. It's a, a messed up book. But um, this is where we transform our mind. It's not by watching the latest to- telenovela. <laughs> For those of you that know that, it's soap opera in Spanish. Um, or by watching... Sports, is, I like sports, okay? I enjoy sports, but if all we're taking in is of the world, how are our minds going to be renewed? Our minds are renewed by the Word of God, by relationship with God, by prayer, by meditating on the Word of God, by thinking about what God has done for us. His love for us, His care. So what is the purpose of being transformed and not conformed? So we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, but, but how does that happen? Or wh- why, why does God want this? Verse, right here it says, So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, perfect when we are transformed by the renewing of our mind when we present our bodies to Christ as living sacrifices holy sacrifices we are proving that God's will is perfect good and acceptable isn't that incredible that when we Surrender our life to Him. We are showing the world that our God has the greatest plan known to man. That what this Bible says, 
the history of the world is perfect. Not because we're perfect, but because our Heavenly Father is perfect. Not because we have all the right things, the right ways of looking at things, but because God in His Word has demonstrated to us how to live. So, next time, I don't know when that will be, we'll actually read the rest of Leviticus 19. But I feel like the foundation is so important because it is so easy for us to slip into a legalistic mindset to think, well, I, I'm holy because I do these things. Especially for those of us who grew up in the church, it's really easy. Or the other side is, man, I just can't do this and give up. Say, I'm going to live what, however and hope that God has mercy in the end. And that's not right either. So when we get back to Leviticus 19, I hope that we remember that our holiness is given to us in our calling and in God through Christ Jesus. Because that is the foundation for everything that is said in chapter 19. Because chapter 19 is a summary of so many different commands of God. Summaries of the Old Testament uh, Ten Commandments, of many different sacrificial laws that don't necessarily apply to us anymore. But if we don't base our obedience on what God has done in us, then we become Pharisees in a real sense. Because we are doing all these things. We're reading our Bible because we feel like we have to. We pray because we feel like we have to. We come here because we feel like we have to. Instead of just glorying in the fact that we know our risen Savior and that we can see Him and that He has shown us Himself and that we just want to live for Him. We want to be holy, not because we want the world to think we're something great, because we want to represent our God and Savior well. That is why we live holy lives. So application will come next time. But if we dwell on that, if we dwell on the holiness of God and His call to us, His people who He has called as holy I believe that even the most difficult of commands, the most difficult of calls of God upon us to live for Him, they may not be easy, but they'll be done with joy and to His glory and His honor. Father, we find ourselves in awe of who you are. Lord, help us not to forget what you did for us. Lord, you made it possible for us to come into your presence. You made it possible for us to experience your glory. Lord, Aaron could, and his sons could only see and enter your presence once a year. And yet, Lord, you give us opening in Your Word to come into the presence of God with singing 
and gladness and you give us the right to come before your throne and bring our petitions to you, we thank you for taking that veil, Lord. Help us to be useful in representing you, preaching the gospel to those we encounter who need that veil to be lifted. Thank you, Lord, for your work. In Jesus' name, amen.